0: Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now, prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Next level, so I'm really, really excited, and I hope you will just join and welcome Pastor Greg French to the stage. Well led, Matt. Great word, by the way. I was just texting you to say it's a great word. I think I'll send it while I'm actually here. There you go. Yeah, it should come up on your phone. Hey, good seeing you. I'm going to release the band, because we're going to get right into it. My friend, I'll send you a $1,000 in the mail next week. That'll be obviously a check, which doesn't really work these days. But it's been a great couple of days. It's been a great week. And, and let me tell you, um, you know, the, the meetings we've had, Pastor uh, Lorne and Kel have been uh, at a global meeting with some of the uh, key leaders in our movement just this week, just praying through and talking through some of the strategies and the ways forward. Um, but, you know, the rest of the team who I've got to say, who have looked after us and have been leading meetings have done an exceptional job. Pastor Lorne, Pastor Kel, don't know exceptional job actually the congregation aren't bad themselves but you know it gets back to a a team does a great job on the basis that the leaders give permission for the teams to do a great job and I just want to say that your leaders of this church are pretty exceptional people they're great friends, They're, they're, they're great to be around but they are exceptional people so never underestimate who you have and what you've got, never underestimate So always keep your pastors in prayer. And I think, you know, we've had a Holy Spirit um, event, which has gone on um, Friday night and last night. It's been great. Love it. But to me, it's all about what God can do. And it's only what we give him permission to do. God never forces himself on your life at all. Never. I've been to meetings, not in this church, but some churches go, yeah, what are you going to do, Pastor Greg? I go, I don't know. Yeah, what are you going to do? Come on, come on. Give it. Bring it on. And I go, you're going to receive nothing. You've got to position your heart. And you've got to position, and it's a decision you make. As I said, God will never force you to do anything. And we've been talking just the last few days just about the power of words, but the power of final words. The power of words in which people have spoken. The most profound Words, things which have caught your heart are usually those days in which you will, in those moments, sorry, in those days just prior to your departure of this planet. Things in which you have prized and built your life and the passions, the life, the love in which you have embraced. And I've shared that over the last couple of nights and just some of the most powerful words in which the great apostle Paul had said this morning I just want to look at the final words of what Jesus spoke and how they relate to us. But in all of that, it's quite amazing that we sometimes lose sight of the words of what we could say because we've never spent long enough to think about what words would we say. And it's an interesting question, isn't it? What would you say if you had to, on your departing hour, what words would you communicate and to whom would you communicate those words to? We never think about that until we arrive and then sometimes it's one of those moments where you you know after an event you've caught up with someone you say I wish I'd said oh, I missed that But this time the close of your life I'm sorry you can't go back and say oh I just want to add something it's all over well worth the thought so I've been speaking on this whole concept of last words and the drive and again our last words come from a focus of passion something which drives us forward a love or even a fear I shared a few stories of some great men of Leonardo da Vinci and Winston Churchill and a few other people just about their final words and when I was pulling this message together I thought I wonder what some of the final words would have been of men who were had highly opposed the gospel and the message of Jesus. I wonder what those words would have been. And here is just a few men who blatantly and publicly stood, brashly and boldly stated and denied that there is a God, denied that Jesus had any significance outside of being a good man who had some great teaching. A gentleman by the name of Thomas Hobbes, a political philosopher, well respected in the literature world, amazing man. He said this, I say again, if I had the whole world at my disposal, I would give it to live just one more day. For I'm about to take a leap into the darkness and the unknown. And I'm filled with fear. His final words... He had built his statements, his his understanding and study of philosophy and denying God, but now he is presented to a moment in time where all of eternity is before him, the unknown, yet he is filled with fear. Thomas Paine, the leading atheist and writer in American colonies, said this, Stay with me. For God's sake, I cannot bear to be left alone. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will I become? And what will become of me hereafter? I will give worlds if I had them that the age of reason, the age of reason had never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave me crying out to those around me. Stay with me just a little longer. Send even a child to stay with me, for I am on the edge of hell here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. Here is a man who wrote the book at the age of reism, which spoke of deism. And again, basically saying, yes, there may be a God, but he's totally disinterested in his creation. Influenced millions of people Yet on his final words, he's crying out to Christ, calling God. Isn't it convenient in those moments when you have denied and built your life in rejecting? Now you're calling upon that which you have rejected to intervene. Sir Thomas Scott, one of the finest orators in, in England, in some of the councils over 100 years ago, said this. Until this moment, I thought there was neither God nor hell. Now I know and feel that there are both, and I'm doomed to perdition by the just, almighty, loving, forgiving God in which I have denied. Incredible. Finish with this. Boletare. One of the most famous anti-Christian and atheists who's spoken so strongly against the church and every Christian value you could possibly ever imagine. He said, I am abandoned by God and man. Isn't it interesting they introduce God when they've rejected him in the whole life? In the last statement, let's bring God into this final statement. Fascinating. I'm abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months more of life. He said these words to his doctor as his doctor told him, I can do no more. Then he said, I shall die and go to hell. His nurse was by his side and said all night long, he cried out for forgiveness. Jesus, forgive me. What happened at Voltaire? Who knows? But the reality is if he was calling out for Jesus to forgive him, the hand of heaven would have been offered and said, Voltaire, you are forgiven. That ruins my thinking because this man positioned people to reject Christ, spoke against the church and all values in which Christ stood for, him. yet in his final moments, he cried out for forgiveness. Fascinating. Our final words are some of the most powerful words which fill us with our purpose, our passions, our love, or our fears. So what about us? We gather here this morning because we stand, we worship, we give, we celebrate, we come together, we give up our time because of Words which have been spoken of a living, loving God who gave his life for us. We gather here today because there are values in which we stand upon, in which a living, loving God has, again, guided us, instructed us, led us to an understanding this is the way forward. The final words that I want to speak to this morning about is simply the words of what Jesus spoke from the cross. You see, it all started at 3 a.m. in the morning where Jesus was arrested. And from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning, when Jesus was arrested, He was accused. He was falsely accused. People would come and speak falsehood against what Jesus had said, His life. They were paid to come and criticize. They would come to lie, to basically talk of how Jesus defamed the name of Yahweh. God many came he was tried he was accused and then he was sentenced at 6 a.m he was then led and handed over to the Romans. you have to understand the Romans had learnt the art of brutalizing a person. they had learnt the incredible art of maiming to the point that people would be filled with fear because of what was happening and what was about to happen. The Romans knew perfectly well if they had refined the art of brutalization that it would be a deterrent for anyone to rebel against them. Jesus for three hours is brutalized to a point he was unrecognizable. We see those wonderful artistic Romanticize Jesus on the cross with a crown of thorns and a tr- few trickles of blood and just a, a pierced side with a few trickles of blood and on the cross with a loincloth. He didn't look a thing like that. The Passion, the movie, again, directed by Mel Gibson, sort of captures it, but yet still lacks what took place. You see, you've got to realize what Jesus is about to say is what happened prior to that to give you a full understanding of what He has done for us. For three hours, He is brutalized. He is beaten. His body is beaten by rods constantly for hours. Beaten. Again, that His face is unrecognisable. It is filled with, again, with edema, with fluid building, building up because of the brutalization. His face and His head is misformed and misshaped. His body is filled with edema because of the blows. And it says, and by His stripes we have been healed. It says that His body was bruised. Again, beaten to a point where much pain and every nerve in His body screamed out in agony. And yet he had not been crucified yet. He was lashed. That literally not just a lash, but again, there was barbs and hooks in these um, whips, which would strike the body, which would literally tear pieces of flesh, which would then hang from your body. And if someone looked at you after that event of how you'd been scourged, it'd be hard to see how your frame looked because literally flesh was pulled from your body, hanging from your body, bleeding, dehydrating to the point of death is not far. But the Romans knew how to brutalize and make you an example that others would never rebel against them. Then they would take the one who was to be made a public spectacle of and taken to the place, the Golgotha, or the place of skulls, basically is the place, again, where death would be seen, yet it still had life. And upon the cross, the individual would be nailed to a cross. Every part of their body was screaming out already with the agony and the pain. Every cell, every nerve in that body was screaming out in pain. Yet the brutalization had not yet finished. You see, where they would position, they were positioned not away from the city. They were close to the city on a hill by a path, the major thoroughfare in which you would be crucified so that people coming in and going out would not rebel against Roman authority. The Romans knew how to brutalize. They knew how to prevent any uprising against them. And then the highest point of shame would be that you would be stripped naked. You see, we see Jesus with a loincloth. He had nothing. The highest form of shame, brutalized, naked upon the cross. And then the nails are driven into his feet, perfectly positioned and into his hands. That again, where the nails were, they were literally like points where again, it would impact every nerve running throughout the body. And as those nails were driven in, they were driven in, yet the pain would just continue to radiate. You see, the Romans knew how to inflict pain, to maintain pain. They even would slit the eyes so that, again, during the process, they would slit the eyes so that no matter what, you couldn't close your eyes so you couldn't see what was happening you would see everything is about to take place fear is sometimes more about what is coming towards you than experiencing upon the cross here is Jesus and every moment to understand on the cross you actually had to if you wanted to breathe push yourself up if you needed to get breath into your lungs you would have to push yourself up and every time you push yourself up your pain would radiate with an excruciating pain Jesus still wanted to make statements from the cross because he loved us that much. And upon the cross, his body radiating filled with pain, his opening statement from the cross simply goes like this Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Incredible. Here is a God who's given everything. And from the cross, he's still willing to speak words of forgiveness. Forgive them. For they know not what they do. You see, from the cross, he spoke those words. He saw Caiaphas, the high priest who had orchestrated everything, laughing and jeering. He saw the Roman soldiers who had mocked him, laughing at him, calling him, you call yourself a king. Seeing those that had inflicted incredible pain upon his body. He saw those who had lied blatantly just for a piece of silver. Yet He is able, not looking to His Father, but looking to them. Yet not just looking to them, look down through the corridors of time to you. On that cross, there was no other way but for one to go to that place to offer their life, so that we would have life and on that cross he saw every single one of us forgive them the second thing he says from the cross there is another man to his left and a man to his right one on the right says if you are the Messiah help us and help yourself get us down from here and then one on his left says, Do you not fear God? For this man was an innocent man. And then he says, Remember me. You see, the first statement is a word in which we so often forget. is the power of why we gather here today why we lift our hands, why we worship, why we give, why we celebrate, why we gather, is because we have embraced the greatest gift of all to all persons. That is the gift of forgiveness. On that cross, a man cries out. He said, we deserve what we ha- is happening to us, but this man does not. And in that moment, Jesus says, and today... You will be with me in paradise you see Jesus is willing to stop because he heard I cry please help me can I ask you this how often have we prayed and believed and stood upon oh, I've just been praying for Uncle Bert you know but man Uncle Bert well he's a write off Uncle Bird, man, you should see. He's a crazy man. He's abused his wife, my aunt, he's abused those kids. Some done terrible things. I saw him a couple of days before he died. He was cursing and swearing. Like, man, he was cursing. Poor old Uncle Bird, he's probably rotten in hell. Oh, Uncle Bird. He'll be in hell for sure. <laughs> in his lifestyle really what I love about the story about the thief on the cross he says we deserve our punishment this man does not but that moment at that moment at that moment Jesus says come with me possibly to volunteer. volunteer come on incredible what about you praying maybe for your Uncle Bert no he'll never make it how do you know what about my sister I mean she's out of control (laughs) I can't man she didn't make it how do you know while there is breath there is life where there is life there is hope our responsibility is to maintain a prayer for life And a prayer for a life. I thank Jesus for my sister who never gave up on me. And the Lord said to me one day, you have life because I have given you life. But it was the prayers of your sister that sustained you to find that moment when I touched you. Never give up. Jesus says, the path is forgiveness. The second thing he says, please never give up on those that you've been believing for that they may find him the third thing he says from the cross which again incredible words here he is understanding what he has been through what he is feeling incredible he says in John 19 verse 26 woman here is your son and to the disciple here is your mother understanding by the term woman but that his mom I mean no 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 it's just a form of greeting in the Hebrew and that that was the correct way to address parents other women they had an incredible respect factor he wasn't pulling I'm God no it was how they greeted how they communicated what I love about this is in the middle of what Jesus is saving the sins of the world he goes hey mom." Hey, Mom. John will look after you. Hey, John. Mom. Look after Mom. You see, he's still very interested in the fine detail of what happens in our life and the small little relationships that we have that sometimes we've been dismissive of. And we ain't on the cross. These seven statements is basically the sum total of the gospel it's about forgiveness never give up on anybody and understand he's interested in your life why because he sees your value the fourth thing he says from the cross many scholars have had many thoughts about this when it says my god my god why have you forsaken me in a moment suddenly he turns around my god so much within that one statement. But what is fascinating is that this is the only time Jesus gives a reference when talking, usually, my Father, my Father. He now used, my God, my God. Why? Because He's speaking to the unity. He's speaking to the Godhead, which was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His statement was not to one, but to all. Fascinating. What was he saying? My God, why have you forsaken me? Now you have to understand what has been written here. We taken the word forsaken, not quite correct. It's not correctly interpreted there in the way it has been written in most of the word. Again, in the Hebrew, it says this, simply. Forsaken. Why, oh God, I now feel what the power of sin does? Because I'm feeling it, how it is impacting us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is causing separation. What he was saying, I feel The full sum total of taking the sins of the world, what sin does in every individual's life, and that is to separate. The power of sin is basically bringing separation in relationship. What Jesus was feeling was ultimately the power of sin, which separates and removes people from a relationship. Some people said, you know, if I don't make it, it doesn't matter, I'll go to hell and I'll just party with my friends. I'll just be down there, we'll just have a bit of a party. Might be a little warm. No. You've got to understand what is hell all about. The reality is, hell is just a reflection of what the power of sin has done. It creates isolation. Separation which creates isolation. And guess what? It's a place in which you and you alone will spend eternity, not with anyone else, because it is so vast you'll be filled with the position of a fear you cannot comprehend, the darkness which surrounds you. Why do people in this life take their life? Because they have lost purpose, because they have lost relationships. They can see no person because there is only their moment of great suffering. People take their life. Yet, understand this. People go through those moments of separation, isolation, filled with fear, ultimately take their life and God is still present on the earth. When He removes Himself, His presence is removed. That pain, fear, isolation is magnified beyond comprehension. Just a little insight to what, why choose one way. Jesus felt the full power of what sin's ability was, and that is even to try and separate them. Yet it had no power. Then he says from the cross the fifth thing he says, he says I thirst, what does that say? Simply this Jesus understood our natural needs your needs in life he understands the next thing he says from the cross, which I love this he says, which I always thought was his final concluding thought but it was not, it was his second final thought it is finished wow yeah but it's finished because these men and these people orchestrated and basically have taken your life from you no what's it really saying it's saying this I have decided not me Jesus is saying this I have decided that now my life shall close. I'm still in control, even though it may not appear to you that I am in control. His final statement is simply making a statement to us, is that he's in control. Yeah, but you haven't seen my life. You may seem out of control, but if Jesus is in the middle of it, he is in control. Love that. His concluding statement was this. He said, and Father, Father, again, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. What's that about? Trust. Trust. Father, into your hands, I entrust. I'm in control, but I trust you. How about you? You see, the gospel starts in forgiveness. But it was always left to us to make a decision. Will I choose to trust God or will I not? Jesus' words were carefully thought through. They had been well thought through. Why? Because a lot of the things in which were communicated have already been written. And Jesus is fulfilling that which had been written from Psalm 22. Incredible. Incredible. He already knew exactly what he would say because of the things which were highly valuable to him. He did not write a book. He made seven very small, short, powerful, eternal statements, which is a sum total of the gospel. It starts in forgiveness, but it is left to us to choose to trust. I did a conference a number of years ago and it was a men's conference, and there was about 400 men there. And when I was speaking over the course of a Friday night and a Saturday, I saw a gentleman down the back of the of the auditorium, just walking around. He'd been in and out of the meetings constantly. And as I looked at him, he very unkempt, long hair, and you'd see him walk outside and he'd light up a cigarette and <laughs> in and out of the meetings. He didn't talk with anyone, and anyone came over to talk with him, he just walk away with his set down and I saw him constantly on the Friday night and then during the Saturday and then at the closing moment of Saturday afternoon the pastor said oh pastor Greg it's been such can you lay hands on everybody and pray for them I'll thank you very much I never do that to me pastor Lord I've learned that you don't have to lay hands on anybody the laying out of hands is a wonderful gift, and, but God can touch people purely on the basis because He said to me very clearly one day, Greg, you can touch a thousand, I can touch a hundred thousand. So it's not, I have to. We'll conclude in a moment, and He will touch your life simply to reposition your heart correctly for releasing the possibility of the power and the potential of your miracle. At the end of it, I prayed for all of these guys. It was two and a half hours by the time I'd finished praying. And I still saw this gentleman just down the back pacing back and forth. And at the close, when the final man left, there was just myself and another gentleman up the, the rear of the auditorium. And this very unkept, quite tall, big guy came down to me. And he goes, with his head down, he said, Pastor Greg, I've been listening to you. I said, well, thank you. He said, do you believe that God can forgive a man? I said, yeah. I felt that power of his life, his grace, and his forgiveness. You've heard my story. He said, yes, I've heard that. He said, but can God truly forgive a man no matter what he's done? And I said, I stand here because I believe. That is not just words, but that is something that I truly believe and stand upon today. And then he said, Greg, can you tell me? Yelling, oh, whoa, whoa. I'm thinking right then, how am I going to take this guy out? Boom, boom. You know, I'm just, you know, just doing the pastoral thing. He's yelling at me. I'm in this auditorium now by myself and this big guy. He said, Greg, can you tell me? Can you tell me? Can God forgive a man? I said, Look, I can only tell you, but you have to accept that forgiveness. And then you have to trust that you have been forgiven. I said, Can I pray for you? I lay hands upon him and prayed. I said, Lord Jesus. They said, when I pray this prayer, I want you to agree with me. Just say, yes. Just say, yes. Agree with me. I said, Lord Jesus, I pray that you bring and give him a revelation, irrespective of what he has done, that the forgiveness of God is upon him, and that forgiveness is now his, and that he is forgiven. Give him the power to trust that he is. I didn't feel anything when I laid hands on him. You know, you always in those moments like, wow, didn't the curtains move or there's some movement in the building, a shaking or something, nothing. He left. I came back to that church about 18 months later and as I was at the church, I finished preaching and people come up and said, oh, Pastor Greg, that was great and really thank you for ministering to us. And he said, the pastor said, oh, look, you know, we're just going to go out for lunch. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll just chat with the people for a bit. It's fine. He said, okay, we'll catch up. So I was chatting with someone. And then I saw this tall guy come down the front. It was a girl just on his arm and well-dressed looking guy. He came down the front. He said, uh, "He said, hey, Pastor Greg, great message. Really neat, really neat. He said, I said, yeah. And he said, uh, do you remember me? I go, I can't say I do. It, then he actually rolled up his sleeves because... The night I prayed for a gentleman who looked very unkempt, had tried to commit suicide a number of times and failed miserably. And he had scars up his arms where he had tried to actually kill himself. He poured. He even got rat poison and put it into the open wounds trying to kill himself. And he rolls up his sleeves and I go, I know who you are. He said, yeah, you you remember that time you prayed with me? I go, yeah, man, how can I forget? I mean, it was quite an impacting time. He said, uh, you know when you prayed for me? I said, yeah. He said, I didn't really feel anything. I didn't want to tell him, neither did I. I said, yeah, okay. He said, you know, but I went home. And you see, you have to understand, Pastor Greg, that you see, when when I was seven... Seven years old, my mum was driving me and my little sister, Amy, and she was in a car seat. She was just four years old and she was in a car seat alongside me and we were playing in the back. And, and then I said to my mum, I wanted an ice cream. And I started calling out and saying, mum, I want an ice cream. Mum said, I couldn't have one. Then I started kicking the seat, the passenger seat in front of me and saying, I want an ice cream. I want an ice cream. I want an ice cream. And mum said, cut it out. Cut it out. And then I said, I want an ice cream. And then she tried to reach over and smack me. And as she reached over, she drove through a red light and a car came in on the right-hand side of our car, killing my little sister, Amy, instantly. He said, I can still see the image of her lifeless form. And all I could see is the blood running from her nose, and from her ears and from a gash in her head. Her blonde hair turning to red lifeless. I see my mum unconscious. You see Greg, my mum after that never wanted to see me again. After that incident my mum was admitted and had been admitted countless times to a mental health institution because of depression because of what I had done. my sister lost a life because of me. I went home after that night and every night I'd leave the light on because I couldn't sleep in the dark because I just have these images and pictures of my lifeless little sister, Amy. But that night, for some reason, I went home thinking about what you had prayed and what you had said over that weekend and, and then I turned the light off for some unknown reason. I have never done that. He's 29 years of age. He's lived like this for 22 years. His mother has rejected him and doesn't, didn't even want to see him. His auntie, when he was seven, eight, and in nine, just for two years, would take him to the hospital to see his mum, And his mother would sit in the corner just looking out the window, and he'd go over and try to embrace her and talk to her and tell her that he loved her. And she would sit there, lifeless, like he didn't exist. He said, I went home and I had this incredible dream. And the dream was like, I went to this beautiful place. And as I went to this place, I looked around. I saw people. They were so happy. And then I saw this sort of young woman or girl running towards me. And her arms were like this. And I thought, I wonder who this was. And then she ran up to me. Then she put her arms around me wondering who she was. And then she looked up at me. And then I looked down and looked into her eyes. And then I knew it was my little sister, Amy. And she smiled. And then she said, I love you. I forgave you. But Jesus has forgiven you. I woke up at that moment. And for some reason, I thought I thought about it for a few days and I rung my auntie up and I just wanted to go and feel, I felt, I don't know, but I felt I had to see my mom who had again had been readmitted again for depression back into the hospital. I went with my auntie and, and I walked into that room and there was my mother again as I had seen her as a little boy sitting just on a chair in a corner looking blank like she was vacant. She wasn't there just looking out the window. I walked around to her and hugged her and said mum forgive me then she looked to me opened her eyes stood up and embraced me and simply said no can you forgive me for not being the mother I should have been my mum for the last year and a half, has not been admitted to hospital. She has given her life to Jesus, and she comes to this church. And he said, Pastor Greg, thank you for just being real, faithful, for telling me what Jesus can do. You prayed. I said yes to forgiveness. And in my way, I had nothing else to do but choose to trust. And Jesus stepped into my world, changed my life. And I'm here today because of him. In Jesus' name. Why don't we close our eyes? holy spirit we can i've been talking on the power of forgiveness of the ability of the power of forgiveness i've been talking on last words the final words in which we should all consider and think through i've been thinking i've been praying i've been believing i've been ministering i don't need to lay hands on you i do not need to in this service bring a word to you because the word for you is exactly what i have said from this podium from this pulpit this morning God's love for us is far greater than we realize or even sometimes accept. But the power of his love is released when we make that decision to align our life correctly by saying, Jesus, forgive me. I'm going to ask every person in this place with their eyes closed. You may have never asked Jesus to step into your life. You have never asked him because he has always said, my hand is extended to you with forgiveness, but we must reciprocate and respond. You may have never asked him to actually forgive you. Or maybe you have, and in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, not to me, but to him. Or Maybe you haven't, for whatever reason, you have moved away from your relationship with Him. You have turned your back and lost sight of that relationship. You may be in church going through the religious act of just being in church, yet you've lost that relationship. A separation has occurred. I'm going to ask every person with their eyes closed if you have never asked Jesus to forgive you or maybe you have and you've stepped away from that relationship to get realigned correctly because Jesus here this morning wants to say one simple word to you. My hand is always extended to you. So if that is you, just lift up your hand. Can you lift up your hand? Thank you very much, sir. Lift up your hand, thank you very much, sir. Lift up your hand, thank you very much. Lift your hand not to me, but to him, to create the connection in which he has designed. Thank you very much, madam. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. This is why we gather is that we have the full assurance and confidence that we are forgiven. With every eye closed, for those people who have raised your hand, just raise your hand one more time and look at me. He saw your hand, sir. He saw your hand. He saw your hand. He saw your hand. He saw your hand, young man. He saw your hand. He saw your hand someone to my left who hasn't raised a hand they should what I'm going to ask just to conclude this service if you've raised your hand just stand up in your seat, just stand up where you are, just stand up where you are thank you sir And what will transpire is simply this. He will communicate to you the greatest truth, sir, that you are forgiven by your decision, by raising your hand, by standing, by standing and agreeing with that word here this morning. And what we're all going to do is pray a prayer. And let us all repeat these words as a church, standing with these people who are standing. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me so that I am known by you. And that today, I am forgiven. I am saved. I am made whole. Today is a brand new day. Known by God. In Jesus' name. Everybody standing. For those people who have stood, someone at the service may come up and just chat with you just about your decision. Give me one minute. Father, it begins with forgiveness then we stand in a whole new position and platform of life and love and Lord there are miracles needing in this place whether healing whether it's relational whether it's financial whatever it may be there is a need in people's lives I want every person in this place just to visualize and know why you are standing now and believing that God will work for you will touch you will do a miracle for you. Why? Because he looked from the cross and saw your need today. And in Jesus' mighty name, at the conclusion of my prayer, if you agree and choose to now trust that he will do it, you will say amen with me. Father, I pray men and women of all ages stand here today. Their need is beyond our understanding individually, but you understand their need. And in Jesus' mighty name, through the words in which you have spoken from that cross, the words of life, passion, compassion, forgiveness, grace, hope, we now stand and trust in Jesus' name. And for that which they have stood and believed now, let your power, let your hand of grace and your miraculous ability to bring the change, to bring the miracle occur in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's put our hands together and thank the Lord. Come on, let's give the Lord one more big clap. Let's give Pastor Greg a big clap. That was so good. Hey, church, listen, if you put your hand up or if you'd like a little extra prayer, uh, we've got an incredible prayer team that'll come down to the front, so I would just encourage you to come down if you'd like a little bit of extra prayer. We're gonna close up the service today. Through those doors walk people who are forgiven and walking in the power of Jesus. Amen. Go and change your world. Have a great Sunday.